The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Welcome to Talking Halos, it's Derek C. Paul all by myself tonight with a bit of an extended preview of the Red Series. And why do you ask? Well, the Reds are the league's oldest franchise and they're celebrating 150 years in existence this year. So, if you want the lowdown on the series, plus a little bit of baseball history, we've got for you in this episode. But first, we're just getting started here. But if you like what we're doing, Please check us out on Apple Music and subscribe. We would really enjoy, appreciate a five-star review to help us move up the charts. And if you want us to earn it, hey, hey, great. Email us at TalkingHalos at gmail.com and give us your feedback. I got to be honest, man and ladies, men and ladies, we have not received one email either way. So we have no idea what y'all think of us outside of the Apple Music feedback. So, hey, send us an email. If you are a new listener and you're enjoying the show, please do us a solid and send a text or an email or just whatever to any other Angels fan you know and you think they might like our podcast. It would really mean the world to us. We'd really appreciate it. So the Angels have the Reds in for a two-game set. It is going to be a quickie, then four games with Oakland. It was really nice to actually have an off day to focus more on the opponent, especially one with the history of the Reds. And so first off, we want to get you out with Bill Lack from Red Leg Nation to talk about the history of the Cincinnati Reds and a little bit about this series as well. Check it out. Here we go. All right, folks, I'm here with Bill Lack from Red Leg Nation. How are you, Bill? I'm doing great. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm really excited about talking to you. Well, it's baseball, man. How can you not get excited about talking baseball, especially in your case, talking a little bit of Reds history for us? It's a little bit different for us. We we are on an off day, and it gives me a little more time to spend with you in previewing this Reds Angel series. Overall, can you just tell me first, you know, give me some of the backstory. The Reds are one of the oldest clubs in Major League Baseball. I think they are the oldest club in Major League Baseball history. Can you fill us in? Yeah, we, we are the oldest professional baseball franchise. In fact, we're celebrating 150 years this year. I don't remember those first couple of years, but uh, <laughs> after the first two or three, I, I can probably rush you in. It, it, it's a it's a, a very storied franchise here in Cincinnati, and it, it, they won their first World Series in 1919, the the, the Black Sox series. Which, if, if you if you delve into the numbers uh, and don't believe the movies and the and the press, that series was no you know wasn't going to be any walkover. People in Cincinnati believe we'd have won that series anyway. Won their next world championship in 1940 and then won the back-to-backs in 75 and 76 and then again in 1990. Personally, I was I was privileged to be a, a teenager during the, the era of the Big Red Machine. It's pretty cool when you're growing up and you're, and you're watching the best team, you know, maybe the best team in baseball history, at least at the very least one of the best teams in baseball history. A lot of you know, great players have played for this team. 
you can talk about Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Frank Robinson, Joe Morgan, Veda Pence, Tony Perez, David Concepcion. You know, and some of those names you probably never even heard of. But it, it's a long-time franchise. Uh, I started, I'm 60 years old. Uh, I started following them closely when I was about 10. Uh, the first season I, I, I have great memories of was 1969, which also is the, the year of Ball Four. I'm sure you've read Ball Four. Mm-hmm, I have. Um, best baseball book ever written, in my opinion. But uh, so, the, you know, I, Chad and I, who's the, 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 the originator of Red Light Nation, we talk about uh, Ball Four all the time, but it kind of ties into my beginning as a Red fan, was 1969. It's also the year of the amazing Mets, and all those names, by the way, you mentioned, I know them. I, I know them, you know, Dave Concepcion, and I'm a little bit younger than you, but, you know, one of, my, one of my, one of the cool things about me being a history teacher is I just have a passion for American history in terms of politics and war and so on and so forth. I have a passion for sports history. So, you know, I've been down in the Reds Hall of Fame in Cincinnati. I used to live down there, actually, and I've seen the statues, I've seen... The the videos the, the this everything having to do with it, but you lived it, and you lived through that whole time frame of the Reds, the best years really in their history. So, what made that team so special? What made it, in your opinion, one of the best, if not the best, baseball team of the in, in history? Well, I mean the. the, the... 70s were an incredible time for the Reds. Other than 71, I believe they had a, they finished, they were over 500 every season. They won the division, let's see, 70, 72, 73, 75, 76, and 79. Uh, won the World Series twice, lost the World Series twice. They really should have won the, the 72 World Series against the, against the A's. Not that they played very I mean they lost, they lost games that they didn't play very well in 70 they got beat by a much better Orioles team if they matured I think what made them great was what what made them special was the grade 8 the starting lineup and, and when you have you know Pete Rose Joe Morgan Johnny Bench and Tony Perez at the top of your lineup and then they added George Foster you know in 75 those guys were so good and they drove each other to be better every day the biggest move that made the, the difference that, that really turned them into the, the team they become Kate became in seventy five and seventy six is Pete Rose moving from left field to third base to get George Foster's back in the lineup. And I, I, I say this all the time, whether you whether you love Pete Rose, hate Pete Rose, think he was a slam bag, whatever, he, he was an incredible leader on this team. And and how many guys that had been all stars at, at four positions when their manager said, would you come in and try playing third base? would say, yeah, it'll help the team. And, and two days later, he's starting at third base. In fact, Bob Housen, who was the general manager of the team, was out of town at the time, and he saw the box score when, when Rose started at third base for the first time, and he thought it was a mistake. But after Rose moved to third base, the, 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 the big red machine that people remember, the 75 and 76 teams, was born and, and just took off. Now, there's also another year that I remember very well, and that was 1990. I remember the Bash Brothers, the A's, you know, they were the American League West out here. This was a team, the A's, that were, were believed. If there was going to be a sweep in that series, we all thought it would be the A's. And then everything flipped. And when it's all said and done, the Reds sweep the A's four games to nil. 
what the heck happened? Well, and, and what a lot of people don't know is the Reds led their division from the, from game one. They were wire to wire winners of their of the division. They held the, the division lead from the first day to the last day. They had a, a, a very good team, but they had a, an incredibly great bullpen. Uh, if they had the lead in the seventh inning, the game was over. Uh, everybody, and, and if anybody was caught, you know, if you were watching baseball in 1990, everybody knows the nasty boys. Mm-hmm. If they had the lead late, it was over. They, they had some good starters. Rio, who, who, who was incredible in the World Series. Danny Jackson had a, had a good year. Brownie. But, but, but the, big, the, big, the big standout was the, was the bullpen. So Rob Dibble and Norm Charlton, those guys. Rob Dibble, Norm Charlton, and uh, and uh, Randy Myers. Yes. And Randy Myers was really the closer. He had 31 saves that year. Everybody thinks about Dibble and, and Charlton. I mean, he started like 16 games that year. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers while we're talking. But I think it, I don't know, was that, was that the year that Jack Armstrong started the All-Star game? I can't remember whether it was that year or, or the previous year. I would bet it was that year. But their, their starting pitching was good, but Rio was really good. And the bullpen was just lights out. And so when it came down to the A's, just couldn't handle that pitching. Well, you know, the game the, the first, game one, you know, Eric Davis took Stewart deep early in the first inning, and, and it kind of got the Reds rolling. Billy Hatcher set a World Series record. He was like eight for his first eight or something. I can't remember what exactly the record was. And ended up going like 11 for 13 or something in the series. He broke his hand in game four. I mean, there were a lot of, I mean, if the, game, if the A's could have come back and won game four, things might have been completely different because they lost Eric Davis. That was when he lacerated his kidney making that catch in left field. Hatcher broke his hand. So they'd have been two outfielders short going into game five. And who knows how the series could have flipped. Yeah. And here's my question for you, though. I, when that series ended, I thought the Reds were going to be good for a while. And all of a sudden, for a long time, they fell off the face of the earth. You know, what happened to that Reds team? Why were they not able to continue the dominance they exerted in 1990? Honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, they dropped the fifth place the following year. Uh, they only won 74 games the following year. The, the the pitching went south. The only one that the, the next year, the only one, the only starter that was was very good was Rio. Browning was around 500, but his ERA was about four. He, you know, the bullpen was still really good, but the starters, uh, Rio was the only one that was above average. The offense was still pretty good. I mean, they still had Larkin, and you know, you got a future Hall of Famer in Larkin. You have Sabo. Who had you know who was in the midst of a few good years in, in O'Neill? Eric Davis only played eighty nine games the next year. That was a big loss to the Reds. But, you know they, I, I, I think it you know it was mostly the pitching is is, is what had went deflated after the first year, and, and I think you know Lou Pinella thought they were going to be good for a number of years too, and then you know he's here two more years and he's gone. Now ninety two they did win nine you know they they won uh, ninety games, but they finished second in the division. Okay, so switching gears now towards the Reds of this year, and we they made a you know a huge trade. The Dodgers start the off season. They've been fun to watch. I've seen them play a couple games this year. Break down this Reds team and how they match with the Angels. The, the pitching has been unbelievably good, much better than any of us in any anybody I think anticipated. 
they're in the top couple of you know their starters are, are in the top couple in, in in Major League Baseball, top few in the Major League Baseball. The starting staff has been very very good, kept them in ball games early on. The offense is what held us back, and the offense is still not playing very you know real well. They're coming around. We've gotten hot in the last week or so. We 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 we, uh, we swept the Astros and then just split with the Brewers. But the offense has been what's been holding this team back. The, the, the pitching, both the starting rotation and the defense and the bullpen, have been very, very good. And, and it's been guys, you know, Castillo, other than yesterday, has been incredible. Uh, looks like an ace. Uh, Rourke, Rourke has, has pitched very well for the Reds. Sonny Gray's been very good. Uh, Tyler, Tyler Malley and Disclafani have been a little more off and on, but they've kept them in ball games. Uh, and, and the bullpen has been the best bullpen, in, at least in the National League. It, 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 they've been very, very good. they got a, a left-hander named Amir Garrett who's very good. Rossiel Iglesias is, is pitched well. He's got six losses. He's, he's blown some games late, but he's got 13 saves. Uh, he's walking too many guys and giving up too many home runs. But other than that, the bullpen has been very, very good. Uh, a, a guy that's pitched very well for him out of the bullpen is a former number one draft pick named Robert Stevenson who was – he came down in, in spring training to be in one of the last cuts. And, and you know, I, most people believe they only held on to him because they didn't want to cut a number one draft pick because they knew he wasn't going to get through waivers. And he's been very, very good. His ERA plus is 131. He's thrown 28 innings and only given up 11 runs. And the biggest thing is he's not walking guys, which has been his downfall in the past. And he struck out 38 guys in 28 innings. He's done a very, very nice job for him out of the bullpen. So your lineup, how's that lineup looking this year? You mentioned it's had some struggles. Well, it, it's struggled. Uh, Votto has not been Joey Votto. He's been better lately. Uh, he's hitting in the two-hole. The, 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 the leadoff hitter has, has usually been either Jesse Winker, who's, his OPS plus is up over 100 now. He, he's hit, hitting better, but I, I, he's still not been as good as he was last year. The other guy that's been done a lot in the, on, in the leadoff spot is this rookie, Nick Senzel, who, who there was a lot of controversy when he didn't make the team coming out of spring training because there was – most people believe that he was sent down to save a year's service time. But since he's come up, he's, he's done a really nice job in center field. He hadn't played center field before this year. Uh, he was drafted as a third baseman out of Tennessee. Uh, and when he was drafted, he was a number one pick. And when he was drafted, most people said he was the best offensive, offensive ready player in the draft at that time. And he's, he showed every bit of that. He's, he's hitting 272. He's got a 332 on base percentage, slugging about 500. His OPS plus is about 110. He's done a really nice job since he came up. Uh, the other big, the other two surprises that I would, Hanyu uh, Suarez is, is playing okay. He's not at his all-star performance that he was last year. Uh, the two biggest surprises I think on this team are, are were both guys that they signed on minor league contracts, and that's Jose Iglesias, who's played almost flawless defense other than yesterday. Where he booted a ball and then picked it up and threw it away, allowing two runs to score. But his, you know, his OPS plus is 95, which is better than his his career numbers, I think. But but his defense has been incredible. And the other guy is Derek Dietrich, who came in on a minor league deal, who's leading the team at home runs with 18. Uh, his OPS plus is at 142, uh, and he's been a kind of a spot guy. He's been playing some second base and some outfield, and a little bit of first base. Scooter Jeanette has been off. Has been hurt the whole first half of the season. In fact, you, you, we won't get him in An- back in Anaheim, but they're saying we may get him back by the end of the week when we come back home. Uh, and when he comes back into second, it's going to be interesting to see what they do for playing time with with, with Dietrich. I mean, Dietrich's been impressive. 
And I like his attitude too. I saw his I saw his shenanigans in Pittsburgh earlier in the year. Was, that, that was yeah, he's, uh, Dietrich is he's a fun guy to watch. He, he he really looks like he enjoys what he's doing. He's also a guy I think that doesn't take take things too seriously. I mean, he doesn't. He realizes he's not out there curing cancer. You know. Gotcha. Uh, there was a game earlier this year when they when they were wearing throwback uniforms, and he painted on the big handlebar mustache on his face with eye black. We had a, we had a game where they had a they had a bee swarm, and he went and dressed up like a beekeeper and went out on the field with one of those spray cans. He's a, he's a card, and and you know you gotta like any guy that's up there hitting with the big chain around his neck. All right, so Bill, can you tell people where they can find you, and also what kind of work you do at Red Leg Nation? Anymore on Married Like Nation, I basically just do podcasts about every other week with Chad. Uh, I alternate pretty much with Jason Linden, and, and I'm on with Chad Dotson. Where can they follow on Twitter? Uh, I'm, I'm at, at Bill Red Leg N, and I have started doing I, I, Chad. And when I say Chad, I'm talking about Chad Dotson, who was the, the, the guy that created Red Leg Nation. He was after me for a couple of years to start doing more Twitter, and I, I started doing more Twitter. Twitter. And I found two things that I really like it, and it's very addictive. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it, it, you know, I'm the guy, and, and Chad always teases me when we're on doing the Red Leg, you know, the Red Leg Nation podcast, Red Leg Nation Radio. That I'm the I'm the old guy out in the yard yelling at the kids to stay off his lawn. But uh, the Twitter thing is, is got has kind of grabbed me. I, I have to admit, I'm really enjoying it. All right, folks. Well, if you like baseball, like a little bit of history. Like getting to other teams, give Bill a, a follow on Twitter. What's the actual Twitter tag? Your handle? At Bill Redleg N. At Bill Redleg N. Bill, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And, well, ha- let's have some fun this series. Thanks, Derek. And, and thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. All right, so here's my question for you, those of you who are older fans. What do you remember about the Big Red Machine? What were some of the best moments you saw from those years? And do you think they were the best team of all time? There's probably some competition there. I can think of certain Yankees teams, et cetera, et cetera. So let us know. All right, so before we move on, we want to let you know we are looking for sponsors. We would really appreciate helping us keep the lights on. So reach out to us at talkinghalos at gmail.com if you like what we're doing and you want to help support us. Also, you can leave a voicemail at 657-666-5453. All right, so we're going to go out next to Locked On Red's Jeff Carr to preview the actual series with us. Here it is. Locked on Reds, Jeff Carr. All right, folks, I'm here with Jeff Carr from Locked on Reds. Jeff, how you doing, man? I'm doing very good, man. How are you doing tonight? It is a wonderful day full of joy and cheer, even though it's a Monday. I know, I know. It's, it's a little yeah. weird to say that, but uh, it's, a, it's an off day. I can do a little more than I usually can for a podcast. Oh, yeah. it's It's been weird having these... Th- frequent off days during the season hard to get used to the whole schedule change you know we have to do the 15 and 15 league thing and and then we have to do interleague plays throughout the entire year instead of during your normal slotted times when was it was it may and in early june they used to do it now it's all year it's a wacky schedule and i think i think some people even have a, a friday off this year yeah, actually, the Reds got an off day on July 5th. I was just reading about that today. They've got this awesome, for lack of a better term, 
birthday party for the 150th <laughs> season that they're running at the ballpark. They gave out a bunch of free tickets. Like I think they've, they're expecting 40,000 people and they're basically just opening up the whole stadium. Like fans can run on the bases. They can go into the outfield, all this different stuff. And it's all because they had this random off day the day after 4th of July. It's really weird. Just, you know, talking though about 150 it's hard to believe that even would happen in today's sports world and we had bill land from red leg nation on earlier talking about the history of the the reds first things first man you know to be able to to have a franchise with that kind of legacy history even 150 years there's a lot of pride there i'm sure what are some of your best memories of the reds man just me personally I got to go two of the best moments that have happened in the current ballpark. I'm blessed to say that I was there for them. The clinch miss back in 2010, whenever Jay Bruce walked it off against the Astros to clinch the NL central. And then in 2015, whenever Todd Frazier won the home run derby, uh, getting to be at both those things was just phenomenal as a fan. And I'm still, I'm still insanely jealous when it comes to my fan heart, because my dad knows the big red machine got to watch them play he you know knew the 1990 season in and out as far as going wire to wire and winning the world series and obviously i mean i I was a baby at that time i'll admit i'll age myself i was less than a year old so or no, no no i was just a shade over a year old so i can't really claim that i remember that too well but i'm hoping you know maybe here in the near future to make some championship memories but as far as 150 years goes, man, like baseball history, kind of a hobby for me. And just looking back that far, I mean, way back when, 150 years ago, you had to score 21 runs to win a game. Like, I'm kind of glad they changed that rule. <laughs> the craziness of that, too, is if, you, if you're putting that in historical context, you're talking about a time in American history where you were just getting into Reconstruction. The Civil War just ended four years earlier, and here you are talking about that same franchise. It's a really neat thing. And by the way, I am a little older than you. I do remember 1990. I remember ah, that team. I remember <laughs> the I remember the A's and that team, the Bash Brothers, and I remember thinking, geez, the A's are going to destroy them. They're going to destroy them. And no, no, no. I watched that series thinking, how on earth did that just happen? Pitching kills, man. It's not speed; it's pitching, and that's what the Reds had, and they just drilled, drilled the A's that series. So you know, but in talking about the the Reds this year, how are you filming the franchise at this point this season as you're getting close to the All Star break? Man, you caught me at a good time because last week they were five and two, and stretching back to two Sundays ago, they had a six game win streak roll into Friday, roll through Friday, so. Everything that had been kind of up and down, because before that, it was win two, lose two, win three, lose three, and just this constant not going anywhere-ness that they had been doing. And now all of a sudden, they made a little bit of progress, not not to the point where we want them to be just yet, but it's gotten everybody's spirits up. And where two weeks ago, we were talking about what if the Reds are sellers, not, not that they would trade off everybody, but look to move some of these one-year guys. Now we're looking to see, well, what if they're buyers? What if they're looking to add a piece before the deadline and things like that? And then, of course, you got Scooter Jeanette and Alex Wood coming back. 
who haven't played at all this season yet. And Scooter Jeanette's one of the best hitters in this lineup, maybe the best hitter. I don't know. It's going to be an argument between him and Suarez, but all in all, it's been positive. And now coming into this week, we're looking to see if they can build on the, you know, it's hard to say that there's a ton of momentum in baseball, but if they can build on whatever momentum they might have built from last week, then that's going to be great. So have they reached your expectations this far of the season? Are they operating below expectations? You know, how are they now compared to where you started off the season? To be honest with you, they're right where I was hoping they would be. Interesting. Because the last five years, at this point in the summer, it's been like pulling teeth to get anybody to care that the Reds are even playing because they've been so far out of it every single year for the last five years that at this point now that they're in the talks of I think they're only three games out of the wild card as we record this here on Monday night that it's refreshing to see that it's refreshing to be able to talk to people about the Reds again and not be looking forward to Bengals training camp or you know talking about our mutual interest in the FC Cincinnati uh, soccer team but when it comes to as far as hoping maybe they'd be a playoff team, maybe they wouldn't be. I don't think we expected them to be there as fans, but I think that there are some fans that would say they're not 500 yet. I want them to be at 500, but it's a marathon. And when you start one and eight in April, you got to do a lot to make that up. And they've been slowly chipping away and they're really close to making it right back up. So heading into the weekend here, the week that is, the pitching matchup for Tuesday is Tyler May. Let's see if I can say this right, man. Maley. Close, Malley. Malley. Okay, 2 yeah. and 7 of 4 170 Andrew Heaney for us. We don't know who's pitching on Wednesday. We might not know until almost game time. It's a random thing with the Angels. They can't pitch a lick. So we've had guys going up and down. We haven't quite, but Tanner Rourke's had a nice season thus far. How do you assess the pitching matchup from what you can see m- minus a Wednesday starter? for these two games i'm interested on tuesday because i know that fans are going to look at heaney's era and see that it's above five and say well that should be a lot of runs scored for the reds but heaney tends to strike out a lot of fellas and the reds tend to not do well with a guy who's got a good secondary pitch and i was actually just talking with adam riggs from the Believe in Angels podcast talking about this, and he mentioned that Andrew Heaney's got great secondary stuff, and there's a couple of guys like Yasiel Puig that are suspect to a secondary pitch. Their average is very low. So I'll be interested to see how the Reds' lineup goes with that. Tyler Malley, on the other hand, when it comes to pitching, 4.17 ERA. He's kind of been the pitching embodiment of the Reds so far. He's got a great start and then a not-so-great start. Last His last outing, he pitched against the Astros on Wednesday, and he only allowed two runs on seven innings. Yeah, two runs on seven innings, which the two was a home run to Michael Brantley. And that was a phenomenal outing, but he left with a no decision on the table. So it's kind of been a struggle for him to get the decisions in the book, but he's had every bit the kind of success I was hoping for in his second season, second first full season, but second season as the Red starter. What should we be looking for from the Reds' bullpen? The bullpen, um, there's a couple of main guys. Lorenzen, 
Iglesias, which the interesting thing between those two, and it's not really between the two of them, but it's just how David Bell employed them this past week. Most folks who would assign roles to bullpen pitchers would say that Iglesias is the closer. But David Bell has approached this whole entire season as who is our best reliever and when are we going to employ them in the most stressful situations? And that's how he's pitched Rysel Iglesias, not necessarily in safe situations and all that different stuff. But he's used him a lot. Amir Garrett, up until his last outing, had been dominant. In fact, up until his last outing, in 35 appearances, he'd given up runs in only six of them. And he kind of blew up in the last one, giving up three runs. Mm-hmm. So that kind of humbled him a bit, but he's still a really good left-hander, a uh, good hard-throwing left-hander with a good slider. And then David Hernandez, he's their workhorse. I think at one point he pitched like three or four days in a row, and he's all about his slider. He's loving it this season, throws it almost a third of the time. So it's going to be interesting to see because David Bell is not afraid to pull his starter and go into his bullpen. Talk about the Reds lineup. What are the strengths and weaknesses of that lineup, and how does it match up with Angels pitching? Well, they <laughs> it's funny, because the beginning of the season, there were hardly any strengths to speak of. Here lately, guys have been coming on. Joey Votto is starting to realize his Votomatic self. You've got Puig starting to come around a little bit. He's still struggling, like I mentioned, against like curveballs and stuff like that. And then the most phenomenal guy out of all of them, and it's mostly because when he came in expectation-wise, you didn't see this coming, is Jose Iglesias. Because when the Reds got him as a minor league free agent this offseason, it was kind of a wink-wink, nod-nod, you're going to be on the major league roster. But at the same time, everyone's like, okay, he's a good glove, but we're not expecting much out of his bat. With bases loaded this year, I think he's hitting like 400. And he's got a lot of RBIs. He does have a grand slam, the only grand slam of the red season. And he's been the guy that whenever they needed the hit with a guy on base, he's come through in the clutch. The interesting thing will be Eugenio Suarez. He's been in a bit of a slump, but if you ask 10 Reds fans, nine of them are going to say that he's their best player. Uh, And then, of course, you've got Derek Dietrich, who he's the guy that's getting all the headlines and – kind of doing all the antics, and he's a fun dude to watch, which I know that there's a lot of folks that are on the other side of the fence that are thinking, oh, I don't like him so much. But he's just one of those guys that, you know, if he's on your team, you're loving him. He's hitting all the home runs, and even on Saturday, no, Friday, he got plunked three times in a game, and he scored four times. I think... That's one of those odd statistics that he's the only one that's ever done that, but it's like, okay, we're really splitting hairs here. But still, it's a lineup that I want to say that I know what they are, but I'm still waiting. You're still waiting for it to all come together. Kind of like the yeah. Angels. We're waiting for them to yeah. come together, for crying out loud. And that's where we go next is what concerns you about the Angels lineup outside of Mike Trout. We all know you're worried about Mike Trout. Okay, what else concerns you about the lineup? I was going to say, we're, we're going fishing and Trout's coming to bat, so I, I'm definitely thinking that's happening. Uh, one dude, and just looking at the numbers, kind of crunching them when I was coming into this series, I'm like, what the heck is up with Tommy LaStella? Doesn't seem like he's missing too many pitches. He's hitting everything out of the park, and 
that really wasn't something that he did whenever he was in Atlanta or anything like that. So I'm really interested to see how the Reds handle him. And then, of course, the man, I mean, I got a chance about a month ago now, a little over a month ago, to go to Angel Stadium and take in a game. And I happen to buy an Otani t-shirt. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the Reds handle him because when I'm thinking of the two guys that I'm most worried about in the lineup, it's Trout and Otani, especially now that he's healthy. So then, of course, you always got Albert Pujols. I think he and Joey Votter are in the same realm of they're in the downslope. I don't know that I want to call it the twilight, but the downslope of their career where they're still pretty good hitters. They're not necessarily the power dudes that they used to be. But I think if you sleep on Pujols, he's going to knock one over the right field wall or left field wall on you. Well, the problem with Pujols is he still has the power. He just can't bend like he used to bend. That's the real problem. He's got all kinds of holes in his swing because if you look at the stands, we we talked about this on last night's show. You look at a picture of his stands from 2009. Look at a picture of his stands now. He just can't bend. It's no longer there. And so he can't hit for average anymore. The power is still there. He can still hit tar out of that baseball and I don't expect to see him play one game he played all three games this weekend in the St. Louis series and uh, they're probably going to give him a day off but overall what are your keys to this series for the Reds what do they have to do to beat the Angels they definitely got to be consistent with runners and scoring position that's been the key statistic whenever you look at Reds losses is leaving runners on base There's been a lot of instances where they've had six, seven hits in a game, maybe even eight hits, and they'll score one or two runs. And they've got a ton of guys left on base via the walk and all that stuff. And it's a frustrating nine innings to see them have opportunities, and then they just kind of get blown away. And then the starters and the relievers, who have been pitching pretty well this season, statistics show that they're one of the best staffs in baseball. You can only hold another team, especially when they've got an offense with the potential like the Angels have, you can only hold them to one or two runs for so long. And it's whenever that other shoe drops, the Reds have to make sure that they bring the guys who are out there on base across home play. Care to make a prediction for the game? Or for the series? Hmm. I, I think they split. It's they been split. a weird It's been a weird thing with the Reds. If they've got an even number of games in a series, they just split it. There's no winner or loser in it. So I I think I could see the Reds losing the first game and then taking the second game. And I was going to ask you, too, about this. On the second game, do you think that's a bullpen day or maybe an opener-type situation? Oh, my goodness. I think it really depends and if it's Dylan Peters coming up. I can't pit Suarez. Suarez got sent down. He has to wait 10 days. I would assume they would probably use an opener. I just, at this point, you never know with this team. They've been doing so many weird things in terms of not just the pitching staff, but the lineup. You can't find a guy who can hit for average. You can't find guys to stay healthy. And you can't find guys who can get people out. In a significant way, you just never know anymore. Just... Yesterday's game, they pulled Tyler Skaggs after 70 pitches. Pitching one of his best games of the year, pulls him to 70 pitches. So you just never know what Brad Austin is going to do. And all you can hope for is that (laughs) if you're an Angels fan, they find a solution to this conundrum soon if they're going to compete, which honestly none of us really are expecting that. We're expecting them to go around 80 wins this year and then next year actually turn that as you have a bunch of one-year contracts, they're going to be unloading, 
They need a little bit of pitching help. They have their, you know, the rumor is Garrett Cole is going to be sitting out there and go after him, and we'll see what happens. I don't know if that's going to happen, but we'll see. That's all right, and it's funny because the Reds are in the same situation. Like our our hope is they'll contend, but our expectations are this is kind of the year that they catapult into contention next year. So I, we're right there with you as far as uh, expecting the rest of the season to go because they, I think they said they've got something like $65 million coming off the payroll this year with one-year contracts and guys like Scooter Jeanette, David Hernandez, and Jared Hughes who their contracts are expiring at the end of this year. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we're in the same boat. And if Albert Pujols retires, which he's saying he wants to play out the whole contract, then the world is our oyster because his salary – has been really weighing down the payroll in terms of uh, how much they can spend. The, I hate the idea of baseball economics. I, we we got into this big debate about a couple couple months ago on on Twitter with some dude who happens to be a Dodgers fan. Who Dodgers can spend whatever they want. The Angels have money; they can spend it, but they just aren't going to spend because they can. You don't. That's not smart economics in baseball. So we're waiting too. We're waiting. Hey, can we get some of these guys off the payroll because? We, we're almost there. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's been a rough couple of years in terms of trying to compete, and now it's almost there. We're just a couple guys away. Let's make it happen. We'll see. Real quick, too, I wanted to ask you one other thing because I love this dude's name. What do you think of Luis Renjifo? Well, it's interesting because nobody expected him to perform as well as he has since coming up. And... I think we are seeing the development of our future second baseman, which may be a problem for the guy we just drafted, Will Wilson, who out of NC State, who is a shortstop. He projects a second base. That might be a problem. I but I like the way he's play. I like how aggressive he is. He makes rookie mistakes. We expect that. His hitting's getting better. He is the kind of a spark plug that this team is needed for a while. Him and David Fletcher both have been major spark plugs on the team. So I like the direction they're going with him. I hope they don't send him down when Simmons comes back up. I hope they don't. But if it means getting him everyday play, then you have to. That's what's up, man. But, yeah, I just, I just remember hearing that name, and I'm like, boy, I, I really like that name. I'm going to keep an eye on him. Red so. Hefo. And I would say it wrong for a while there. It was kind of embarrassing. And then I just figured it out. Red Hefo. And, I really, really like his development, what we've seen, especially the last month. Well, that's what's up, man. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is not a a very common interleague series to watch as a Reds fan, so I'm very excited to see them play the Angels. Yep. And there'll be a return series in August, too, so this is going to be a you know a two and two. All right, Jeff, can you tell people where they can find you on Twitter and anywhere else on social media? can check me out. At Jeff Carr with three F's. I always get killed for misspelling my name, but actually F is a middle initial for me, but I'm not going to tell you what that stands for. <laughs> and, and, uh, it's not Francis, is it? No, no, not Francis. <laughs> not Francis. That'd be funny too, though. Um, but then also uh, the other one is at Locked On Reds. So, folks, if you are looking for a little bit of out-of-town coverage for the series, check out Locked on Reds with Jeff Carr. Follow him on Twitter. And here we go. It's about time. Reds and Angels, tomorrow night. Thanks, Jeff, for coming on the show, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for having me, man. 
All right, so this should be an interesting two games. Both teams right now are in a position where they need to make some moves, especially before the All-Star break. The Angels coming off that, well, that dramatic series in St. Louis, and they lose two out of three there. We have some pitching questions for the, for the Wednesday night game. I'm not feeling too thrilled about this series right where the Angels are, but at least they get to be at home. They can use the DH, and there's Shoei Otani coming to the plate finally for more than one at-bat a game. Really nice to have that. I like the Angels to at least get a split here. Hopefully they can take both games. If not, we may have some issues going into the Oakland series, although there is some news about that one as well. We'll talk about that during our Oakland preview. So speaking of Shohei Otani, by the way, we are excited here. We can finally see him actually get some bats here. One a game's not going to cut it. And I realized over the weekend what kind of significance Shohei Otani has to this lineup. We forget, I think, already because the game is long. Sorry, the series is long. And we're already kind of letting April go. But this Angels offense was not very good in April. And once Shohei got back, things picked up. Uh, here we are again. We go to National League Park, and the offense struggles for most of the series, like 90% of the series. You get him back now. His numbers aren't what you hope they would be on first glance, two hitting 275, nine home runs, etc. But look at what he's done in the lineup in just about a month and a half. That's what matters. That's what you need to think about. And I think it means a lot right now getting him back in there because i got to be honest, this Angels offense over the weekend did not look good. Lots of singles, which is okay on Sunday. Not much power hitting. The game just was not Angels baseball, what we've gotten used to in the Tampa series and in the Toronto series and so on and so forth. We need Shohei Otani's bat in the lineup. It's a shame right now that he's not able to play a position. Other news, we didn't get to it on last night's show. Kind of in a hurry. All-star voting for Tom Lestella and Mike Trout is underway. They are the final. They are two finalists for the starters. Go vote for them, folks. Tom Lestella deserves it. No matter how you try and phrase it, he deserves it. Mike Trout, you know, best player in the game right now, arguably. We say he is. Go vote for these guys. They're our guys. And make it happen. Okay. And that's that about wraps it up. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Talking Halos and search for our page on Facebook. You can also find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. John couldn't make it tonight because John had a long weekend, needed to be home with his family. That's totally understandable. We are a family first podcast, so you can still follow him as well at Jake's Crane John. And don't forget some Spreaker, Apple Music, Google Play, you name it, we're there. For John, this is Dirk C. Apollo saying, take it easy, have a great one, and we're out of here. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of the lake is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.